Welcome to Super Connected. With me, Tim Arnold, and my special guests. We invite you to join us in an intimate and honest exploration into the theme of connection. What it means to be connected to each other, what it means to be connected to ourselves, and what it means to connect in an ever-changing world. In this episode of Super Connected, I am joined by two very special guests. It makes me feel like I've gone back into ancient Greece to a dream temple with two high priestesses of dreams. First, Kate Alderton is a British actress and independent dream researcher with a background in producing theatre. She's trained with the Centre for Social Dreaming, the Process Work Institute and the eco-spiritual community Damanhur in Italy. She's also my partner in dream who has also collaborated on my latest album, Constellations. Jennifer Dumpert is a San Francisco-based writer, lecturer and consciousness hacker. She is the author of Liminal Dreaming, Exploring Consciousness at the Edges of Sleep and the founder of the Onironauticum, an international organisation that explores the phenomenological experience of dreams as a means of experimenting with mind. She also teaches the practice of liminal dreaming. Jennifer and Kate, welcome to Super Connected. How's life in San Francisco, Jennifer? Life in San Francisco is quite lovely. There's a pandemic and, of course, chaos all around me, although my daily routine is mostly unaffected. <laughs> and let's just get this clear. It's midnight where you are in San Francisco. It is indeed midnight where I am here in San Francisco. And Kate, mm. you're in London with me. And what time is it here? It's seven o'clock in the morning in London. It's seven o'clock yeah. in the morning. So yeah. you've got your tea. Are you? Have you got a going to bed drink, <laughs> um, Jennifer? <laughs> no water. Right. That's water. Well, just water. No, that's no, it. You haven't got a cauldron of mugwort boiling away there. <laughs> I haven't, though. You know, I I would say probably um, uh, a tenth of the time I am going to sleep with some onerogen by my side. But tonight is not one of those nights. I guess I ought to have made it so, but no. Uh, okay, so look, part part of the um, the reason this is all come together is to do with your book, uh, Liminal Dreaming, um, and the connection between and this show is all about connections the connection between me kate and you is that kate bought me your book last year um uh, which i read and uh, and you know really taught me a lot about myself and my dreaming life and sleeping that i had no idea and and hypnagogia and all these things which i've realized i've lived with for a long time now other people who are not familiar with your work and indeed kate's work which we'll talk about as well in the show um may have no idea what i'm talking about and every time i say the word dreams or dreaming they may think i'm, I'm talking about something else do you want to explain a little bit about your book for listeners who are coming to this for the first time? Sure. So I'm writing about liminal dreaming, which is the phrase for the spaces between waking and sleep, 
which are actually dream states, unlike REM dreams, which is the middle of the night dream. When people talk about dreams, they often mean REM dreams. But in fact, between the space that you are awake and you're asleep, as you're falling asleep, you go through hypnagogia. And in the space between sleep and waking, mm -hmm. when you're waking up, you go through hypnopompia. And these are those hallucinatory, non-narrative, free associative dream states that, that, in fact, everybody goes through. They're one of the seven or eight EEG states through which we all pass every 24 hours. So everybody knows this state and is a natural liminal dreamer. Uh, people don't often know what liminal dreaming is. So when I'm talking about liminal dreaming, I'm talking about those states, and they're both fascinating states to mine for consciousness experimentation and also wonderful for creativity, problem-solving, healing, etc. And how, and how did you um, get into dreaming in, in such a deep and studied way? Is that something that you've done all your life or is, was there a turning point that took you into that um, subject? Well, the answer to both those questions is yes. I mean, I've always been a really vivid dreamer and have been interested in dream states, you know, my whole life, partly because, I mean, a lot of my earliest memories are dreams and a lot of my you know, experience in a 24-hour period involves dreaming. You know, what, what's happening to me in my dream world will stick with me as experience almost as much as what's happening with me in my daytime experience. And so I got into speaking about and writing about dream states and, in, and inventing practices that had to do with dreams and um, getting involved with lucid dreaming and onerogens and all sorts of uh, topics that involve dreams, you know, quite a long time ago. And then uh, five or six years mm -hmm. ago, I really started getting involved in this liminal dream space. So, you know, dreams have always been really vivid for me. I did have like a watershed experience with a dream in the late 80s when I was living in Paris where suddenly I, I became aware mm -hmm. of how prominent the dream experience was for me in my day-to-day. -day. Um, but, uh, you know, and I, as, a, yeah. as a sort of academic, I was already writing and speaking, so it just kind of made sense to shift into something that was so personally relevant for me. Yeah. And Kate, mm. you also have had a, a, a long, uh, lifelong experience of dreaming. Is that I right? I have. Yeah. It's interesting hearing you, Jennifer, talk about some of your earliest memories being a dream, because I think I, f I feel it, I feel very uh, that rang very true for me. I would say that's very true for me, too. I think my earliest memory was a dream, you know, which is I, and I've never thought about it until you said that. So thank you for p poking at that. But um, yeah, dreams have always been uh, a huge, huge part of my life and, uh, and, and the way I live it, I think. The way, you know, I think I've been threading dreams into my waking reality for a really long time. Um, and actually uh, and active with other people. So it's a social thing. Yeah, for well. me, yeah, certainly in the last six or seven years, uh, I've been 
practicing social dreaming well there are different ways of describing what social dreaming might be but certainly i've been i've been meeting with groups of dreamers um sharing dreams and acting on dreams in a very uh, specific way in the waking world so following the threads of dreams that some of us have and mining them for treasure and then uh acting on them in an artistic way so we've you know we've been going on journeys because of the things we've seen in dreams and finding uh uh, finding where the land might be that one of us has dreamed of, and and going on these crazy trips. So you make you make dreaming sound very exciting. It's like an adventure. There's journeys and treasure. Um, Jennifer, does that resonate with you? Oh, absolutely. So I had um, uh, and and still do, but for uh, about a dozen years, I had a very very uh, frequent dream group that meant that met together the O'Neill Nauticum people all around the world and on the same night we would all use the same O'Neill some sort of like herb or root or scent or sound or whatever to to help promote dreams and a couple thousand people around the globe would would be practicing the same monergen using the same monergen and practicing just mm-hmm. dreaming together you know because dreaming is one of the most common things that we share as humans like eating and laughing and crying and <clears> dying <throat> everybody who has ever lived has dreamed so it's this very weird incredibly personal specific thing and yet a thing that we all yeah. share so yeah. I've, I've definitely had a lot of like dream groups social dreaming which is an amazing movement in terms of you know getting people together from disparate points of view and and uh, cultural circumstances so for me dreaming has often been like the great leveler you know and yet this crazy leveler like the, like dreams are so freaking weird and yet we all have them in common. Whoa, humans are strange. <laughs> you just brought up social dreaming, and it's something I've done um, a couple of times, and, mm. and Kate and I have done that together. Kate, do you want to talk about social dreaming, your experience? Well, uh, yeah, just I a guess... a little bit, and then Jennifer, maybe I'd be really yeah. interested for you both to compare. <laughs> I mean, I think I guess at that. the moment I'm following two strands of social dreaming. One of them is, is like you described, Jennifer, I'm, I'm, although it's on a much smaller scale, thousand a thousand dreamers wow i mean that's just so exciting to hear wild isn't it totally wild i'm in a dreaming group called the dream fishing society so we are probably about 23 dreamers at any one time um dreaming for very specific artistic projects so we kind of uh we're we're sharing dreams in order to find where our collective meaning is and feeding them back into waking world artistic projects um through the overlaps of the dreams and the things that are coming up for us uh, and then there's uh, Tim and I trained at the Centre for Social Dreaming, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a more structured uh, way of social dreaming. Where Are you familiar with the Centre for Social Dreaming? I am very, yeah. So I've really enjoyed investigating and starting to practice and host social dreaming matrices because uh, it's where dreams get to speak to dreams rather than the dreamers getting to speak to the dreamers. And there's something very particular that happens when dreams speak to each other, when you focus on the dream rather than the dreamer um, and, and the dreams get to play with each other. And I find it a really beautiful uh, way of connecting and connecting the, the, the alternative map to waking reality, which is our dream life that we all share. Yeah. 
And the, yeah, sorry. exactly. I mean, the idea of the idea of community built through dreaming, which we, you know, which we all do. And instead of whatever differences people have politically mm. or culturally or whatever to, you know, to dream together and find this commonality can be pretty intense. It, to me, it's it's so exciting. And I think um, I read about what you do, Jennifer, in the States. There's like, it's kind of like a sleepover. Is that right? So what the Aeronautica is, and I, I, I really only get to doing one or two a year now for a long time. I did them monthly. And the way that it worked was there. there's um, a group of us who sleep together in the same space to kind of like hold down the fort, you know, and that's, you know, any, you know, anywhere between, you know, six and 30 people who are usually in the same space. But then uh, people around the world, we, we would post whatever Onerogen we were working with. And an Onerogen is anything that promotes vivid dreaming. So Onero is the Greek for dream and Jan is to create, like generate. And so an Onerogen is anything that that creates vivid dreaming and a lot of indigenous cultures work with roots and herbs or sound lovely for you, you musicians or scent are wonderful onerogens because when you're sleeping uh the only senses that don't go to sleep are your sense of smell or your sense of hearing or particular foods or practices or whatever you know so we would post whatever onerogen it was that was going to be the the focus of the oneronauticum and tim good on you for pronouncing that because that's a flummoxing <laughs> word for a lot of people and so the the people who had found who, people who found the practice from around the globe would they would get the mailings or uh, go to the site and find out what onerogen it was for the night. And then everybody who was participating, either the ones in person holding down the fort or the ones remotely. And we had people really all over the world. You know, we had them in Australia and South America and Europe and the United States and Canada, I mean, really all over. And everyone would all use the same onerogen so using something to focus the intention of the dreaming, and then we would all dream together mm. over that night. Sorry, go on, Kate. I'm fascinated by how you, how you then start to share the collective dreaming when the dreaming is through, because that's certainly something that's, uh, you know, in with large-scale dreaming communities that we're constantly trying to find ways of how to, yeah, how to reconnect the dreams once they're through. How did you do that, Jennifer, when you, once you'd all woken up? Well, that's difficult for sure, but there's a few different ways. People would, you know, early on, I mean, the Oneronauticum was actually a thing that I started for my friends. And then, you know, early days of the web. Do you remember Stumble Upon? I don't know if yes, you're I do. But so, so Stumble Upon found the Oneronauticum randomly and also uh, this website that was out of Mexico City called Pijama Surf, uh, <laughs> which was like at one point I started getting all of these emails and people joining who had all of these uh, uh, Hispanic sounding names. And I started writing to them being like, where did you hear about mm. this anyway? You know, because I had hundreds of people joining. So the three Pijama Surf and Stumble Upon 
um, people just found what me and my friends were doing and it ended up sort of spreading around. And so completely organic. And so initially just people would email in the dreams they were having and I would post them on the site along with whatever the origin was. And then later on, when it got a little bit more advanced, we would use um, Skype or Zoom or whatever it is, and people would uh, join us in the morning after we had spent the night for dream sharing to share what their dreams were or talk about it. Um, I mean, it was all super low tech. None of this was ever any kind of, you know, uh, nothing fancy, really. It was just kind of me figuring out whatever worked but that's you know that's kind of how people joined in on it um but people but mostly i got and therefore because it was so low tech and me doing it it never it was never like a big but i got a lot of emails from people talking about the experiences that they had being part of this worldwide dream community and that was really where it came from and it was really mostly just the experience that people were having joining in together. When I discover something like this, I I, I, um, I always want everybody else to get into it. You know, they, they feel. But of course, it, it it seems to be quite a small community in a way. Um, and I sometimes wonder is that, is that the way it should be, or is there a chance that it's a movement? It's going to become like punk, and people will start, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, talking about both of you in years to come in terms of the pioneers of the new dreaming at the beginning of a new century. Now, what do you feel? Do you think it's, is it, is it for a specific group of people or is, does it have a reach that can go into popular culture? I feel like it actually, I mean, of course, it's always hard to say that about one's own work, but I really do feel like it has a reach and partly because everybody is a natural liminal dreamer. Everybody goes through hypnagogia certainly when you're falling asleep you know and you're, it's that hallucinatory you know you're fighting to stay awake yes. and you you start to hallucinate or just as you're drifting off to sleep and you hear it's often very aural it's it's very sound oriented you hear sounds and your arm jerks or your leg jerks you know that you're in there everybody has that experience, hypnopompia as you're waking up. Not everyone goes through that. It's, a, it's dependent on your circadian rhythm. But uh, everybody knows the experience. And the most common reaction that I have to my book is people saying to me, wow, I already knew this. I was already mm. working with this or I already was experiencing this. It's such an amazing yeah, experience. Yeah, that was my experience. Never, yeah. Yeah, and that's very common. I just never knew it was a thing. I never knew it was called a thing. I never knew to stop and pay attention to it. I've known it my whole life, but it just never occurred to me that it was actually a thing. And and as people become aware of the fact that it's got a name, that it's a thing that you can go into and develop, that you can get, you know, that you can actually grow your skill at it, but you don't even have to. You can just tune into what you already do and have an amazing experience that way. I think that a lot of people really uh, react to that. A lot of people are like, wow, I'm already having this incredible experience. And of course, it's also one of the few extraordinary states that we have that's 
non-commodified. It's not, there's no, there's no capitalism yet. And sometimes I worry about gentrifying, but there's no capitalism yet in this extraordinary mind state of the liminal dream. I mean, in almost everything else there is, you know, whether yes. it's your psychedelic mind state or your RAM or your lucid dream or your fantasy life, whatever it is, it's already pretty well populated in there. Yeah. But re- so few people understand hypnagogia and hypnopomia that it actually gives you this the kind of wild, wild west of consciousness. Yes. But I just want to put the same question to mm. Kate. Do you do He's you have a feeling <laughs> that is it is it can it become the new punk? Or or yeah. or, or is it better that dreaming is sort of kept uh, as a as a, you know in a community uh, that is you know not going to reach out into the, the yeah the I mean I culture. you know I I guess I feel you know I feel like in, part part of me feels like it already is reaching into into popular culture in a massive way you see series like the OA which is a huge series mm. um, and mm. and the you know the underlying thread in that is is absolutely dreams and dreaming and and how to surf them and how to work with them um but there's also an element of me feeling very protective about the dream states and and as you know as Jennifer described of it being a kind of of elements of it being unmapped territory in the wild west i love that and i think it's really important that it stays un um, populated by uh, commodification because it's such a deep and mysterious yeah, place. Yeah, now that's the key word. And we'll talk about that a lot more. But yeah, I mean, the, the, my reason for being so uh, drawn to this, both of your uh, studies and, and passion about dreams is it's a, it's a communication method. And I, and I have many feelings and thoughts about communication and social media communication. When, when we were talking earlier, um, you know, I mentioned that part of the reason for doing the Super Connected radio shows is because I've been working on a project which is exploring how people connect with each other now. Um, we're talking about music, which is an obvious you know, um, a way t- that people can connect. Um, but in, in particular, social media um, was something that I'd, I'd had lots of struggles with. Most of the people I know have struggles with in terms of how much time th- uh, they spend doing it, how it affects their daily lives, um, mental health issues for both young and more mature people. And um, part of the attraction to dreaming was that uh, it's not attached to any brands. There's no uh, advertising involved. There's no companies trying to commoditize it. It's all inside our minds. And uh, and yet there's a, a beautiful way that we can connect with each other through it. Does it feel to you at all like a... And uh, that um, there's some kind of resurgence, which uh, ironically... A resurgence of dreams has been discovered by many people through social media uh, and is continuing to do so. Um, does it feel like a, 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 a nice or a healthy alternative to all connecting as human beings uh, in, in this era? Absolutely. And one of the things that I'm finding is I have a lot of young people who really love these ideas i have been invited to speak and give workshops at a lot of these events where you know young people have not necessarily heard 
a lot of these ideas, um, but they're trying to find ways to connect that are outside of just the social media. And so again, dreaming is such an obvious mode because it's a thing that everybody has in common. Like it's such a great equalizer. Everybody dreams, everybody has these experiences, everybody can connect on. And for most people, it's a really uh, intense personal experience that they're having going into these dream spaces and to be able to you know to go to an event where we're talking about these dream spaces and be able to say to somebody else oh wow I'm really having I'm having these incredible uh, experiences that I'm going through and then specifically with the liminal dreaming because you have enough conscious mind aware while you're there in the in the dream space that you can observe what's happening and so you can kind of share it and then it also kind of lends itself to technology because in the technological mode in those realms you're both there and not there mm-hmm. you're, you know it there you know so liminal it comes from the latin word limen which is where we get words like uh limit it's a threshold or a doorway. It's both here and there, neither here nor there. So the space in which you're a physical body and simultaneously an ethereal body, an electronic body, while at the same time that you're located in actual space. And so in a lot of ways, these these uh, electronic spaces or social media spaces are a little bit liminal spaces. So the idea that you're having your interactions, that you're having uh, spiritual experiences that are actually mediated by this, the liminal space of the electronic world where you're sharing your ethereal bodies or whatever, isn't that far away for a lot of people. So the idea of liminal mm. dream space actually really makes sense to these people. Yeah, okay. Oh, well, I, yeah, it's, it's absolutely, I think it's a, you know, I, I was really struck when I went to a, a sleepover event at the Freud Museum recently, um, which was held by all sorts of dreamers, including Keith Hearn, who did so much research around lucid dreaming in the early days. And uh, I was fully expecting to find, you know, I'm I'm mid-40s. I was fully expecting to find a room full of, of my aged people exploring dreams and sleepovers. And I got there and it was like, you know, it was, it was like going to a, a rave. But for dreaming, it was filled with these beautiful young people who were all here to come and sleep and dream and experience a... Uh, you know, combination of uh, artistic interventions to help promote dreaming. So they had rooms full of onirogens and and um, soundscapes. And but I was just struck by the 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 young age of the people wanting to connect in that way. Um, and something you said earlier really struck true for me, Jennifer. You know, in terms of, of of using social dreaming to connect with each other, what I find is that it it, it is a real social lever, a, a social leveler, and also a a kind of anti polarization device. Because when we connect our dreams together, um, there doesn't have to just be one meaning. You know, that's what I always find so extraordinary about uh, connecting dreams is that you can you can um, thread them together and find that there are there's a kind of a multiverse of meaning that can 
that can come through them that is um, the opposite of polarised thought, which I think at the moment on the planet and in the world is a really uh, essential uh, tool uh, and, and human tool to start developing because there seems so much polarised polarized thought. Yes. I feel like dreaming is a brilliant uh, uh, way. I, I, I mean, you've both to, said that. Mm. You've, Kate, you've talked about levelling and, and Jennifer, you talked about equalising um, and also the idea that liminal is it's, it's neither one thing or the other, which is sort of the opposite to the world we're living in, which is very extreme. You mentioned, Jennifer, that the um, uh, there's a similarity between social media space and liminal space, um, and and but conversely, uh, there's health authorities all over the world uh, talking about most people's lack of sleep is to do with them looking at screens for too long. And um, what, how do you? How do you sort of approach that where you're, a lot of your work and Kate, your work as well with communal dreaming is based in social media um, and you probably both have quite strong disciplines in knowing when to switch your phones off. But a lot of people don't and, and you end up becoming just part of the constant connectivity that many people uh, are uh, using. How, how, how do you feel about that, Jennifer? I feel like people are really happy to have ideas about how to actually uh, take advantage of this middle space between physical and ethereal worlds and to actually be able to linger in those spaces. You know, so one of the things that I talk about is using I, something as simple as like a voice activated recorder, you know, which is like an app that you can buy for your phone and turning it on and then lying down into a nap or lying down at night um, and setting it and seeing if you can, if you can start to, to locate that space between awake and asleep and mumble into it and uh and record it and find that self that's existing between waking and sleep that you actually you know can record you know who you're finding in that in between space or with the oneronautica connecting with people digitally you know where we're all actually basically connecting in digital world but through dream space through physical bodies where you're uh, you're actually using these technologies of second self or ethereal self but instead of having them be removed from the actual physical self have them align with you know where the mind goes you know you know in fact so much of our lives are spent in these weird middle spaces and and young people who's who's are spending like who have their a lot of their friendships online or who have a lot of this you know between you know whatever who are tracking virtual selves through their whatever it is their fitbits or their sleep apps or their you know whatever or they're on sort of social media and you know even now people just for texts 
are making up these, uh, you know, uh, icons of themselves that are operating for them in the digital world. You know, I mean, that's such yeah, avatars. science fiction in the past. Yeah. They, you know, I mean, so many people, it's quite normal now to have an avatar for your text messages or whatever. So I, I actually feel like the idea of existing in the liminal makes a lot of sense to certain, you know, to a certain demographic. And so the idea of being between sleep and waking or being in these middle spaces is, is actually quite natural and and second nature. I love that description of uh it being a, a kind of complementary space to the dream body you know and it it it's it sounds very like another another space that that we can hack for a really in a, for, for a really positive reason I, I love that description I find that very hopeful yeah and yeah. actually dream hacking is often what I called it and you know I mean that you know the I, I've been tweeting a dream a day on Twitter for 11 years. And in the space that I've done that, um, I've actually started to have this weird merging of my dream life and the Twitter space because my dream self knows that this experience that I'm having in the dream world is gonna be condensed into a set number of characters you know, in the morning. And so the, it, it, it's almost like the, the dream space you know, starts to recommend the, you know, what are the, you know, what's, how am I going to describe this dream in the, you know, it, it gets very meta with the, with the dream space and the technology. I'm really glad you mentioned that. I was going to talk about your one dream a day, um, which you've been doing, I know, for 11 years. Um, this is, this is like me playing what I call devil's avocado. It's a healthier version of the devil's advocate. <laughs> um, uh, for people who, I have a friend very, I won't mention his name. He's very, very well known um, uh, public figure who I'd asked about social dreaming, and he he was horrified and was saying oh, people shouldn't talk about their dreams, and you know it's it's in this world of connectivity where there's so little privacy, and <laughs> we know everything about each other. At least there should be one part of our lives mm. that's kept sacred. For goodness' sake, social dreaming, whatever next. Um, and and you know you're you're sharing <laughs> you're sharing a dream, and I think some people listening will probably feel the same they'll be intrigued and curious to hear all of us talking about this but on the other hand they'll be like yeah not 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 for me love you know so um yeah i'll ask kate the same question as well but what what's your feeling about that i mean sure everybody has their own uh, choice they can make with, with this sort of thing but for you you post one of your deepest most private uh um night thoughts every day you have done for 11 years um I, you know, I mean, it's just like telling a story about what happened during my day. I mean, I, I, I don't mind telling you that I, some of the stuff I dream about, I would not put on Twitter. <laughs> okay. It's still so, a choice. So yeah. we, there, there's a rating then to Jennifer's dreams yeah. on, on Twitter. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I remember on an average three dreams a night. So, um, and and there's often I mean and also you know my dreams you know can often be pretty long and so you know what my you know tweeting a dream a day is you know really involves grabbing some specific image mm. or through line or part of the narrative of a dream yeah. you know I sure. mean if I was posting my actual dream journal 
that I mean, who is it? Oscar Wilde, who says that you should, who is it? You should never talk about your dreams or the weather. You know, I mean, uh, it Mm -hmm. telling the whole story of what my dreams were all night would take rather longer than what I can do. In, in a tweet, yeah. but I but I can I can grab some of and I do try to grab like the essence of a of a dream. You know, sometimes I'm mushing together two of them, two yeah. different dreams, um, and you know, and and it's great. It serves as a dream journal for me too. I mean, I can go back and you know, for me, I can just read that bit and remember the whole dream. Sure. I mean, I've I've been dream journaling for the first time in my life for about nine months now um I, i'm nowhere near a stage of, of of being able to share those in a in a in, in on online in a way that can be recorded repeated shared copy and pasted and all the rest of it i'm nowhere near that kate what what's your feeling i mean we've done social dreaming matrices together which yes, which yeah. is contained i guess and and you know that jennifer you know you know in a social dreaming matrix it's contained nobody's taking anything this it's kind of like you've signed an nda form beforehand and you know that anything you say is sort of protected in the space what what do you feel about that kate about about well about well, sharing... about people who who are just sort of I... I can't tell you my dreams they're mine yeah, i mean i think people share different aspects of themselves and people are able to share different aspects of themselves so i think possibly people who um particularly people who are in the public eye anyway making their own art in different ways um don't maybe need to share dreams in that way but I find the sharing of dreams an incredibly creative process and it's a way of people accessing a space and working with an element of their creativity and their imagination Mm. in whatever the dream life is delivering to them in a really beautiful way so I think it's a I think it's an amazing tool for sharing an inner world. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, for for me, I you know, I, I'm if I could get into a practice like Jennifer and share something every day, you know, that is practice, and that's one of the things that really inspired me. Um, one of the elements of your book, Jennifer, when you talk about practice, you know, and the dedication needed to be sharing a dream every day is extraordinary. I, you know, I've started in my very own small way to 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 try and do a collage a day, a dream collage a day. And again, you know, not not the entire dream, but just pulling through a few threads and images from a dream and maybe smushing a couple together and creating an image, an image palette from the dream space. Um, I've certainly, you know, I'm not as dedicated as Jennifer yet, but, I, you know, that's something I would aspire to. And in terms of people sharing dreams, you know, there's, the, there's that old um, saying that there's nothing more boring than listening to other people's dreams that people often kind of wheel out as a, as a sentence around dreaming. But I think it's absolutely the opposite. I love hearing people about uh, about people's dreams. I find them so beautiful and tender and people and people are so happy to share them when they know it's okay to speak them. You know, I think they're... That's so my experience too. I, I mean, often when I'm I'm speaking at uh, I speak at festivals and conferences and mm. and then I you know I I usually insist on speaking on one of the early nights and then for the subsequent nights people come up and tell me all their amazing mm. dream experiences which I know most people find dull but I love. I love it. Everything has all of the layers of meaning that have been laid over it from then until now it's like the idea of psychogeography which is that any space in which you move gets layered with all of the meanings and all of the experiences and everything that happens in that space and you know one of the things that's most amazing about 
whatever, a track, music or a scent or a place or whatever, is all of the layers of meaning that get added onto it over time. You know, it, whatever, it's like the lines on your face, you know, it, it's just, it all becomes a deeply rich and layered map of experience. So, so it's like the earth. It's 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 a kind of nature. It's it, it's constantly evolving and growing and and uh, absorbing new information. It, um, it reminds me of um, of dream work, of long form dream working, where you know you can you can get you know the first layer of meaning from a dream when you first wake up and write it down. But if you if you work with a dream for for a long time, which sometimes I do, you know, there's a couple of dreams I've been working with actively, artistically, for maybe five or six years. They, they, uh, the layers of meaning that that come out of the dream become huge as you start to look at them from different angles and different mm. facets of the dream and look at the different symbology in the dream. So it really, you know, music and dreamings are very good uh, allies in that way, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't, I, honestly, I couldn't agree with that more. And the idea that you're using the same, that the same dreams are coming in and out of your life over and over mm-hmm. again. I mean, mm-hmm. I have dreams that I had, you know, really literally decades ago where I, you know, the, the, I sometimes go back in and move through the same spaces, either literally in a dream that I'm having or imaginatively in the way that I'm going through the dream and not even in terms of interpretation, just phenomenologically, just in terms of what the experience of the dream is. And I start to understand different things about myself mm. and the place, just like the memory of anything else. Kate, what, what's your special connection in your life? Something that's followed you about or you followed it? Mm. Well, I, I was trying to decide which one to choose, actually, because obviously there's always so many. But actually, a dream that I had last night kind of pointed the way of, of what I would choose. And especially ah. Jennifer talking about maps. Uh, and I would say the thing that's been connecting me to me for some time now um, is a place called Damanhur, which is a, an eco-spiritual community in Italy. Uh, which is a kind of series of temples that are built into the side of an Italian mountain, beautiful, the temples mm-hmm. of humankind. And uh, and the way they've been connecting to me is I've been dreaming of this very specific place over and over again. I didn't know where it was, but I, I was beginning to map the territory mm-hmm. and returning to this very very specific place um, over and over again for years and years and years. And then I finally had one incredibly specific dream and... Uh, and then started to discover it was actually a real place, and the real place was Dam and Her, and uh, and so we followed this dream. A massive group of us uh, last year, sixty nine of us, followed the dream and went to connect with the people of Dam and Her, and uh, who are huge dreamers themselves. So mm. I would say, yeah, Dam and Her. Jennifer, uh, what's your special connection? Well, I had a hard time narrowing it down as well, but. I chose the image of the spiral because uh, I was studying myth in my 20s as an undergraduate. Um, And then I, I, uh, you know, finished that and and set off traveling around the world for three years and, you know, just kind of free range. And the image of the spiral just kept coming up over and over again. Ancient peoples marked their solstice and equinox places with spirals 
and the uh, a lot of religious visionaries came up with spirals and through nature and mathematics, you know, the Fibonacci mm. series and the golden mean, um, things often grow uh, in a spiral kind of equation in a spiral, you know, way proportionately uh, as they're, you know, expanding in their, in their sort of natural growth patterns, mm -hmm. dust devils in the desert and, you know, you know, dirt devils in the city <laughs> and just just the idea of the spiral as, you know, what is both marking the the cyclicity of time, the repetition and yet the forward motion of time of the idea yeah. that, you know, how energy arises and is maintained in the world and something mm -hmm. about something about the idea of the spiral and how life is and how it moves forward seems really resonant to me. And I, I, I still, there's still a real mystery there for me. And so it's, uh, it's often what propels me into like the big question. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to say, Jennifer, Kate, to our listeners about dreams? Write them down. Keep your pen by your side. Yeah. You know, there's treasure. There's treasure to be had and share it. Yeah. Yeah, Jennifer. Uh, I mean, I, I would echo that. I mean, and, and whether or not you're writing it down, talk to somebody mm. else about it, talk into a voice active record. Whatever it is you pay attention to in your life is whatever will flower. Attention is the energy that brings uh, forth, you know, a blessing in your life so if you're interested in your own unconscious if you're interested in seeing those ideas pay attention to it even just think about the dreams and it it will flower thank you kate alderton and all the way from san francisco jennifer dumper thank you for being my guest on super connected and cut <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right <laughs>